You're listening to Season 2, Episode 6 of Strike the Match. There are conversations going on today in many evangelical circles related to the role of apostles in missionary activity. And while many of these conversations have great intentions behind them, they often lack biblical support, biblical foundations. In this episode, Dr. Don Dent, professor and author, is my guest. We talk about this topic, the ongoing role of apostles in missions today. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist Dr. J.D. Payne. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. As always, thanks so much for listening to Strike the Match uh, during this Season 2, which is actually about to end uh, pretty soon. Season 2, my book, To the Edge, Reflections on Kingdom Leadership, Mission, and Innovation is being offered uh, through the Create Space website at 41% off. If you'd like to take advantage of this season opportunity, uh, go to Create Space or just simply Google my name, Create Space to the Edge. It will take you to the order page. Whenever you check out, you'll want to enter in the coupon code J48ZZ7EU. That's J48ZZ7EU. I hope you get a chance to take advantage of that before Season 2 ends. And now here is my conversation with Dr. Don Dent that just recently took place uh, over Skype. Last year in uh, 2015, uh, I published a book entitled Apostolic Church Planting. Uh, what I have, have come to believe very strongly in over the past several years uh, is that this notion of apostolic work, uh, or as I talk about it, and I know some of you have read about this on my, my blog, uh, of apostolic missiology, this, this concept uh, is, is really missing from our thought and our, and our practice uh, particularly in a Western context, we we still operate very pastoral in what we what we do, and so the need to return to to what does it mean to be apostolic and to learn from the first century church, I think, is very very critical. Uh, one individual who is our guest today on Strike the Match is uh, Dr. Don Dent. Uh, I had the honor of of meeting Don when he was working on his um, his doctoral work. He he wrote his dissertation uh, on this topic. In fact, the title of his dissertation is "The Ongoing Role of Apostles in Missions," and uh, he uh, did this through uh, the Baptist Seminary in Malaysia. And I had the honor of being on his uh, his defense committee back in two thousand and nine. Uh, when I read his work, uh, immediately I, I recognized this is the best thing that I've seen written to date on this. topic topic and have pointed others to it over the years. And so when season two started off on Strike the Match, uh, Don was one of the individuals that I wanted to really have on on the on the program. Uh, Don is actually the director of the uh, Kim School of Global Missions at Gateway Seminary. That's the seminary that just recently changed its name uh, from Golden Gate Baptist uh, Sem- Theological Seminary. It's now Gateway Seminary, and they just relocated one of their main campuses to just outside of Los Angeles. But Don is the director of the Kim School of Global Missions. Uh, he's a professor of missions there. He uh, lived in Asian cities for uh, 30 years. He has served in Buddhist, Hindu, uh, and Muslim context. Uh, he also served with the International Mission Board. And, uh, and as I mentioned, uh, he not only did his dissertation on this topic, but he also published a book on the ongoing role of apostles and missions. Uh, so, Don, I just want to say, brother, uh, welcome to Strike the Match today. 
Thank you, JD. It's great to be here, man. I, I, and I know we were talking before we started the recording. Uh, Two thousand and nine. That was the last time I think we officially had conversation with one another. I know. Yeah, you and I have both been busy. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> true, or at least looking like we've been busy. <laughs> well, hey, man, you are uh, at Gateway Seminary now. Uh, how how's that transition gone? Because I know the whole campus there in Mill Valley, outside of us uh, in San Francisco, just relocated outside of Los Angeles there. Right. Yeah, this is pretty unusual. Uh, I don't think people normally move a graduate school 450 miles. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we don't really have a lot of models of how that works or whatever. But we we're here. Uh, we have a faculty ready to go in the fall. Uh, we have a beautiful new campus, very modern uh, and so and we're right in the heart of an area where three million people are going to be moving in this next generation. Wow. And so we're going to be not just talking about church planning. We're going to be out there church planning with our students, which for me is really uh, extremely exciting. That that is great. Hey, I, I mentioned in the introduction uh, about about your book, the ongoing role of apostles and missions. Uh, it's it's out of print right now, but but it's about to come back into print. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know uh, there will be many people that are listening that will want to get a copy of that book. Yes, it's going to be uh, published by Westbow press uh in it by the fall at least uh it, we're we're just i'm just finishing up a few minor revisions and it'll be ready uh to go to them very soon so it should be out i would say no later than mid-fall okay so fall 2016 uh westbow yes. press westbow press uh, title is the ongoing role of apostles and missions Right. It'll say the same as the dissertation. Very good. And so for those of you that are listening, I, I do, I want to strongly encourage you to to get a copy of this, pre-order this, uh, go online, track it down. Uh, it, it is it is well worth your investment. And again, it's 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 the best thing that I have seen written to date on this topic. So, Don, that's that's why I've got you here, man. I, I, I want to talk about this for a little bit today <laughs> cause, because because it's, it's such, I think, an important, important topic. And, and I know that in at least within U.S. circles, uh, among conservative evangelicals, uh, th- this conversation has been has been going on for some time now. Now, if we go back into like the uh, the late '80s and the '90s, uh, there were conversations happening in the states along this this topic that I I and I know you. Uh, were too uh, were very uncomfortable with theologically, but but sure. some of the some of the conversations have been encouraging. Uh, have you been Have you also been sensing that in the evangelical community? Yes, I you know I think especially the last five or six years, it appears to me that we're coming back. I think when you use the term apostolic missions, what you're sort of referring back to. Uh, you know, the terminology and the pattern that we see in the New Testament. And that was my point as well in picking up uh, this terminology and this topic. Uh, the fact is that the word apostle in, and of course that's transliterated from the Greek instead of translated, if it had been translated, it would have been sent one. Mm-hmm. And I think in our modern English, that would be missionary. Mm-hmm. So the result with this transliteration is, you know, sort of like as Baptists, we always hate to hear somebody talk about baptism and they're not talking about immersion because that's what the word means. But uh, we see the same thing with this word, uh, sent one, 
uh, people have been using it for all kinds of offices in the church that don't have anything to do with going to the nations to take the good news of Jesus, mm-hmm. which is how it's used very clearly in the New Testament. Right. So, so let, let let me let me start there. Um, so, the word missionary is it in our Bible? <laughs> yeah, I often ask people what is their favorite verse that has the word missionary in it. <laughs> Second Hezekiah three sixteen. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, right beside the word church planter, you can see them going through their head, through their memorized verses, and you know, and after a minute, they just look at you with this quizzical look, like, "Well, I, I guess it's not there." I said, "Well, actually, it is there. It's just still in its Greek form. Mm-hmm. Sent one envoy might be a, a good word, a uh, good translation for apostolos." Yeah, yeah. So, so over over history, we, we've kind of adopted that that Latin word. You know, for missionary, right. uh, where we get missionary from, but but really, if we're getting if we're getting really New Testament on you know on this topic and allowing our theology and practice to come out of that, I mean, it it comes from apostolos, which is for you know the notion of of, of apostle or the sent one, the sent one, yeah. And I and in church history, uh, and this is really true in our English language, we somehow identified the word apostle with authority. Mm-hmm. And we've identified the word missionary with task. But in the New Testament, they're given authority to do a task. It, it's never divided that way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like the way you, I think you talk about um, missionary apostles or apostle, apostolic missionaries. And I think that's, I agree with you, it's an attempt to sort of bring back the awareness that the word apostle originally meant sent one. They were sent with a task. Mm-hmm. In in Matthew and Mark, for instance, the disciples become apostles at the moment that Jesus sends them out on mission. And in Luke, uh, obviously, in uh, most of the gospel, uh, they're just the disciples, and occasionally he refers to them as apostles, again, because they're being sent out by Jesus. But mm-hmm. when they get to the acts of the apostles, it's not the disciples anymore. They are the ones who've been sent. Mm-hmm. They had the Great Commission, and the story is about them going, taking the Great Commission, taking the good news of Jesus to the nations. So I know that there are going to be some people listening, and they're going to say, Don, I completely agree with you. You're exactly right. The apostles are uh, the twelve, and that's it. And so there are no more apostles. Uh, how would you respond to that? Well, obviously, the 12 are unique and very special. So is that word—I uh, I know I'm kind of interrupting your thought there. So is that word that we get apostles, is it given to anyone else other than the 12? Yes, it, it is. In, in the Scripture itself, it is. Uh, but, of course, let's, let's, let's start with those 12, because I want to make sure that people realize I'm not claiming uh, that because I was a missionary, I'm like one of the 12 uh-huh. uh, or anybody else today. They, they were unique. And the definition for who they had to be is found there in Acts 1, uh, when they're having to replace Judas. You know, they lay out, here's what's uh, required to replace him. Uh, but that that is not the only use of the word apostle. When we get into Acts, for instance, all the way up through uh, chapter 13, apostle is used for the 12. 
And then in chapter 14, all of a sudden, two times, mm-hmm. Luke refers to Paul and Barnabas as the apostles. Right. And it is obvious at this point that he's making this reference because they are out doing the Great Commission. They're engaging new places and pioneering new work for Jesus, and now they are apostles. A different In a different sense than the Twelve, they're not the Twelve, we're not trying to replace the Twelve. But yes, there is a, a much broader usage, and that's, that's in Luke. Now, Paul, I believe, uses the word uh, even more inclusively than, than Luke does in several places. So when, when we talk about or when you talk about, for example, the title of your book, the ongoing role of, you know, basically of apostles in a contemporary context, you're, you're not talking about someone who's on par with the Twelve. You're not talking about someone who is who is writing uh, extra-biblical uh, books or revelation or having some kind of authority over local churches. Am, am I correct? Absolutely. Again, let's let's tie the thought of authority and task back together, like I believe it is all the way through the New Testament. Mm-hmm. When Jesus told the twelve to go to the nations, he gave them his authority to accomplish a task. That is the only authority that apostles have. They have the now the twelve were different, obviously, but mm-hmm. for missionary apostles who are going out to accomplish the Great Commission. Jesus goes with them. He empowers them. He authorizes their mission. And that's the only authority. I, in fact, I don't see uh, the, the great connection between, uh, as we see in some denominations today, where they use the word apostle, and it, they really mean a bishop. Mm-hmm. They, they're looking for someone who has authority over a whole group of churches in an area. And, you know, I just don't see that in Scripture. What I see, for instance, in Acts and in Paul, Paul writes to churches and he usually starts with, you remember, I was with you. I risked my life. I laid I gave you all of my time. I invested in you. I loved you. I brought you the gospel. I'm your spiritual father. And so you should be listening to me. When he writes, J.D., uh, churches that he did not actually start. He basically just goes back to the gospel and says, "Okay, here is the gospel. Make sure that you're staying close to this gospel. I don't see him taking that uh, as strong of a leadership role or getting as deeply involved in their problems Mm -hmm. uh, in those churches. He's just his authority there is to make sure that they're being true to the gospel. So that this I know it's a big issue today in some circles, especially where apostle is one who, when he speaks, no one can even question. So, so do you think that that's part of the reason uh, why there's this pushback in 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 many Protestant circles uh, to not use that terminology, to not use apostle one uh, because of what you just just said on the authority issue, and two because it's it's automatically assumed that we're talking about someone on par with the 12 and the apostle Paul. Sure. I yeah, that's that's what I hear uh from friends when they discuss it with me. They said aren't you afraid that 
that this is going to somehow get connected with that teaching of, oh, I'm God has called me to be apostle today, so I'm claiming leadership over 100 churches, and I'm going to tell them what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I hate to give up biblical concepts and biblical terms just because somebody else is misusing them. Yeah, you know, Satan uh, does that all the time. So I, I just don't want to give it up. I, in fact, I'm trying to get us back to Scripture. That's my primary goal here is to get us back to looking at Scripture. Because, J.D., the reason that I got involved in this was I was trying to train people to do missions in in the pattern of Paul. Mm-hmm. And, and people would say, I don't see any connection between the apostles and missions. And, and that's when I realized, oh, mm-hmm. I've got I've to step back then and show them that there is supposed to be a connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the uh, one of the things that I remember shortly after uh, your uh, dissertation was completed and I was on your uh, your committee, uh, I remember having a conversation, just a passing conversation with uh, with the with a a well-known theologian. And uh, I was telling him, I said, hey, uh, you know, this this dissertation, it's, it's, it's the best thing that I've seen exegetically on this concept of apostolos and and. um, the title is On the Ongoing Role of Apostles and Missions. And without thinking, his immediate reaction, I mean, it, it was almost like this, you know, this, just this gut reaction. He said, he said, oh, whatever you do, don't, don't encourage people to start, you know, thinking in, in, you know, in terms of, you know, apostles today, because, because, and he mentioned another uh, prominent pastor at the time, he said, because, you know, so-and-so, um, uh, you know, he, he does that too, and, and he's, he's, he's misleading so many people. You know, and I walked away from that conversation, I'm thinking, you know, here's a brother who loves the Word. He, he has been right. known to speak very much on, on correct language and the importance of language in, in our theology. And, and I'm thinking, okay, just because someone else is distorted— Someone else has distorted maybe the truth, or uh, or as a misunderstanding. That you know, does that mean that we need to avoid it altogether? And it, and is it better for us to come up with a Latin word, you know, that uh, you know, <laughs> and, and go and go from there? So so I yeah, I've I've sensed that pushback too uh, as well in some of these conversations. And I understand it. I, I mean, I am not trying to uh, start an apostolic reformation. Or any or any of those kinds of things, I I simply want us to tie the character, the pattern of life, the commitment, and the ministry methodologies of the apostles in the New Testament with our mission efforts today. I believe God gave us the New Testament not just for clear teaching. But are not just in missions. We often think of the New Testament tells us why we should go to the nations. I think the New Testament tells us how we should go to the nations. Mm-hmm. And that part is something we we are losing or have lost in much of our mission efforts uh, in, in modern life. So so on on that, on the how, I'm assuming that you're unpacking how how you understand the the functions of the apostolic workers. Uh, what 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 does that look like? So what 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 does that type of person look like? Well, the primary thing we see, I mean, it's very, it's so obvious. I hate to say it, but but it's really still needed. Is that the apostles proclaim the good news? They proclaim 
announced it. They announced it. They made it public. They talked every chance they had a chance to talk about it publicly. They did. Uh, they talked about it from house to house. They talked to individuals in the market there. They knew that their goal was to try to get the word to as many people in a new setting where, as we even see today, J.D., the gospel is news and it's good news to those who are open to the Holy Spirit. And it is the only hope that we have in the world. It is the most revolutionary message. But in our, I think our postmodern culture around us uh, is affecting American Christians a lot on this issue. Uh, most of us are not sharing the gospel at all. Mm. And I hear mission advocates today, a lot of them. I was at a conference not long ago where uh, a man spoke to thousands of college students and got them excited about going to the nations and then said, and I almost died when he said, oh, and you won't even have to share the gospel with them. You just wow. go and be a good person. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, where, where did you get that? I know historically that doesn't work. And it's certainly not a biblical pattern. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, go and proclaim this message to all creation. And that, I see that is the is the primary uh, initial thing. Uh, and, and it's interesting, um, you know, here I am in the West where we need a lot of churches, obviously, and especially in the San Francisco area where we just where we just left it. The county we lived in was less than one percent Christian. Um, and it's 20 percent American Buddhist. Um, but but when it, it appears to me that right now there's a tendency, even in church planting in America, to spend all of your time looking for a place to meet and finding musicians to lead worship and, uh, you know, getting someone to put together really pretty flyers and, and people spend up to a year uh, setting up the first worship service so that they have something to invite people to. Mm -hmm. And they may or may not have actually been out that much sharing the gospel with people. Right. And that is not the pattern, again, that we see uh, in, in the New Testament. And it's not the pattern that I saw. I, you know, I had the privileged opportunity to actually watch and evaluate hundreds of missionary teams. And those that were very active and bold in sharing the gospel saw a greater response than those that weren't. Mm -hmm. That's just just the bottom line. People can't believe if they can't if they don't hear. Right. Someone's listening and they're saying, "Okay, well, Don, you said that uh, apostles are those that share the gospel. Well, everybody shares the gospel. So, so I know you're not saying that everyone's an apostle. So, so what what else? What else is involved in in that function?" Well, the one thing that we see, in, and it begins with the Acts of the Apostles, and it's obviously in Paul's letters too, when they go out and accomplish the Great Commission, they plant churches. And so if you make disciples and you're teaching them and baptizing them and all those things, then what results out of that is a community of faith. And uh, the, the New Testament pattern is the church planters come in, and pioneer, they lay the foundation of this new church. Mm -hmm. And that's, and again, the foundation is the gospel. And they lay this foundation and they get this church going and they actually don't stay forever. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Now, Paul, when he didn't get run out of town, appears to have stayed probably 18 months to, to maybe three years. Uh, we, we see a lot of places where because he was preaching the gospel, he got run out of town. And obviously, in many cases, before he really wanted to leave. Um, so he was itinerant maybe more than he would have planned on his mm-hmm. own. But he's focusing on laying that initial foundation of the church. So, you know, Paul and his team, and again, the team is exceptionally important in this overall approach. Uh, Paul saw himself sort of as, you know, the shock troops. Right. They came in, stirred it up, got the gospel out, and, and really as gossip in, in the city as much as they possibly could, gathered together those who believed, and they were in just about every case, some who believed almost immediately, um, and discipling them, getting them into a pattern of obedience, which can, and in, in a... Um, in a pay coming out of complete darkness without Christian background, people need to be discipled very quickly. Uh, the, the, I see, you know, when I hear people commenting on uh, good good missions work overseas, mm-hmm. one of the things that surprises them and that they often raise concern about is that uh, the the disciples are being given responsibility maybe too quickly, more, more than we do in America. Mm-hmm. But I, I believe that comes out of our background that uh, most of us were born in Christian families and most of us were discipled as we were maturing into adulthood. Mm-hmm. That takes a long time to do it that way. But overseas, let's say someone's coming out of Buddhism or out of Islam or Hinduism, they profess faith in Christ. They've made a turn in their allegiance. And if they don't have a very quick change in in life pattern and in behavior, then pretty quickly they're going to sort of the cement's going to set and it's not going to be a Mm U-turn. You know, they're going to turn about five percent and now they're just going to be a Buddhist or look like a Buddhist or Hindu that, you know, had a little interest Mm -hmm. in Jesus briefly. So to get that about face, to get that U-turn, that conversion then discipleship needs to happen quickly and intensely. And that's one of the things that we see in Paul's methodology very, very clearly. He talks about, I was with you night and day. The the kinds of teaching that was going on was not like, oh, we go to Sunday school once a week and we talk about football half of that time. And we have about 20 minutes to actually talk about spiritual things. Right. Uh, they were spending hours together. And when people come out of darkness and profess faith, and they're probably getting pressure from their family and friends, they're hungry Mm -hmm. to grow and know about their new faith. And so, you know, maybe maybe for Paul, the discipleship uh, period only lasted, that initial period only lasted maybe two or three months. But my guess is they were together more and had more time of teaching and modeling uh, in that two or three months than most American Christians would have in three or four years. Mm-hmm. And and of course, obviously, an ongoing process. Uh, you know, he was sending sure. letters back. People would go back and visit. He would visit. Um, that it, that it never was. It wasn't complete until obviously their their glorification. Yeah, I believe it's for every church that Paul um, had 
had this role of pioneering and and laying the foundation, I think he felt a lifelong uh, connection and ministry with them, even though it might not be continuous in the sense of always being there. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you talk about in your book, and you may have have already just unpacked that in the past few minutes, is is the uh, the apostle phase for every people group. Uh, what, what do you mean by the apostle phase? Well, when let, let me just reflect a little bit. When I was in uh, seminary, I you know studied church history, and you know we saw to see these phases of the life of the church. You know, during the first century, th- there were so many places where there was no gospel yet. Right. You know, Paul talks about going to Spain because Christ is not known, uh, and as the church began to, and the, the gospel in the church was established in different places, then we see what I would call as a movement, mm-hmm. uh, because in each place the church is established, it's their, their witnesses, their witnesses in their community, and their, we see other churches sprouting up from where they are, even though they themselves may be a fairly new church. So there was this unreached phase before Christ is known at all, and then this uh, what some have called an apostolic phase, I call it a movement phase uh, of the church. And then, you know, in church history, uh, somewhere around Constantine or some, somewhere in there, all of a sudden it all gets established and official and wealthy and lots of structure and organization. And, and we get into what we might call an established church. Uh, the thing that I began to realize as we live for 30 years Uh, much of that time among unreached people groups is that time of movement that I look back to in Scripture that impacted the Mediterranean world has never gotten to them. Hmm. There there are so many places in the world that they've never heard of Paul. They don't know who Jesus is. Uh, What happened to the church in Jerusalem and Thessalonica has absolutely no meaning to them. They're not even aware of it. Right. And so the mistake that I believe we've made historically in our methodology is try to transplant our established church mm-hmm. into those places mm-hmm. rather than going back to the seed, which is the gospel of Jesus and letting it sprout and letting it bear fruit naturally in its own soil, which is really what we call an indigenous church. And it is much uh, in, a, in a much better position to reproduce itself, to keep growing, to keep winning. And so, yes, uh, I believe that those three phases of the unreached phase mm-hmm. and the movement and then the established, I, I think we need those three phases for every single people group. Mm. And the way that we do that is that we send God-called men and women into a place where Christ is not known, and they share the gospel of Jesus, and they start the same process that we see in the book of Acts, we see through Paul's letters, and then that church becomes a new stream of the gospel and grows from there. Mm, yes. uh, now, I just uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sit with a, an old friend of mine who's been actually, I consider him an apostle. He's a missionary he is doing this kind of work, and where, where, when he got to the place where he's been now for some time, uh, a hard, resistant place, 
uh, there were five known Christians hmm. among a people group of, you know, over a million. Wow. And now there are probably well over 10,000. Hmm. Wow. And it's the same thing. They haven't, they haven't, in, they haven't brought in uh, structure and organization. They've just brought in, again, the simple good news of Jesus and the Bible. Yeah. And those people are following the patterns that they see in Acts and, and throughout the New Testament. That's great. You know, one of the things I've been really encouraged by, Don, um, in addition to the conversations that I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, specifically uh, the number of pastors in in well-established churches that are becoming more and more open uh, to uh, apostolic-type church planting, uh, not just across the world, but but even in a North American context, and and so I, th- I think that that your work uh, has contributed and will continue to contribute to to that thinking. Uh, if uh, if the listeners want to get in touch with you, is there, is there a particular way that they could they could do so? Yeah, right now in the middle of our move, the easiest thing would be for them to email me. Okay, and okay. Uh, that's at Don Dent D O N D E N T at gs.edu, okay. gatewayseminary.edu. Let's get that one, yeah, one more time. To, I would love to hear from them and uh, help in any way that I can. I'm excited to hear what you're saying about pastors in America because as we are moving into uh, postmodernism, mm-hmm. at least, you know, again, on the West Coast, maybe more than in the Deep South where I'm from, um, Traditional forms of church extension aren't going to work. Mm-hmm. These people are lost. Right. They're as pagan as uh, the Laodiceans were. They they just don't know anything. And we've got to pick up this uh, apostolic pattern to get the gospel and to plant the church among them today. Right. Yeah, I I really think that I think that with with our our contemporary expression of of, of church planting, and when I say contemporary, I'm, I'm uh, I'm talking about what we've been doing for the past fifty, sixty, one hundred years. Right. Uh, I think I think it's I think we've hit a point uh, whereby we've been able to reach about a quarter of uh, of the U.S. population. Uh, in Canada, we're looking at much less, but um, but I do think that that this concept, while it's very well accepted in other countries outside of North America, uh, it is something that we really need to embrace uh, within. Uh, within a North American context as well, so uh, so let's keep beating that drum out there, Don. Uh, thank you for for writing and speaking and and podcasting on this topic. Well, th- th- thank you as well. Let, let let me get that email address from you one more time because I, I think we may have had a had another Skype uh, hiccup there just while you were giving out some of those letters. So it's Don Dent. At gs.edu. Gs, gatewayseminary.edu. So uh, for those of you that are listening, I'm going to draw you back to uh, to Don's book, The Ongoing Role of Apostles in Missions. Uh, should be coming out uh, with Westboro this uh, this fall. Is that correct, Westboro or Westboro? Westboro. Westboro, West excuse me, Westboro Press. And, uh, and you need to get a copy of this. Uh, Don takes a very exegetical approach. Uh, to this concept, and then moves from from that that exegetical to the practical, and that is incredibly important because there are a great. Well, let me say it this way: there 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 is a growing number 
um, of works that are out there uh, that uh, does not go very deep into the biblical text when it comes to our understanding of of the apostolic nature of of the church. And and so there's a lot of practical, there's a lot of pragmatic, there's a lot of leadership, there's a lot of uh, a lot of contemporary thinking on this without that healthy biblical foundation. I think Don has done uh, the best job to date on that topic of taking us back to the scriptures and really asking the tough questions. So so make sure you you get a copy of this work, and I think it'll be be something that will generate some good conversations uh, in your circles of influence. My guest today on Strike the Match has been uh, Dr. Don Dent, who is the director of the Kim School of. Global missions at Gateway Seminary. Uh, Don, again, thank you so very much for giving up your time and being with us today. Thank you, J.D. It's great to talk to you. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpayne.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.